Good morning. How's everybody today? Doing all right? Good deal. Are you comfortable? You are? It's not, not too hot in here? I wonder why I'm sweating so much. Anybody here that's on vacation this morning? Traveling? Okay. You're on vacation every day you live here? Okay. Are you one of those, another ho-hum uh, day in paradise people? Oh, man. I just wonder about that sometimes. Another ho-hum day in paradise. Yeah. Those, those bumper stickers were on every car during the flood. I will never forget that. September 13th, <laughs> 2011. Just another ho-hum day in paradise. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad my hope is in a future place because, uh, you know, I read those scriptures that people are going to run to the mountains in the last days saying, fall on us. And I think, I don't want to consider the possibilities of that. <laughs> We're right in the middle of it. Yeah, sometimes I'm driving along and I see the, the grand mountains and I imagine those mountains being a wave of the ocean. Oh, man, if you ever lose your sense of grandeur for the mountains, look at them and imagine them being a wave coming your way. Then all of a sudden you realize how vulnerable you are and how grateful you are to have a mighty God who is able to save no matter what. And we know how the story ends, and it's one of victory, right? Yeah, better believe it. Well, let's get into our text this morning and uh, see what God has for us here. Um, you know, my personal goal here is to commit to a life of, of Christ-likeness, but, but uh, that's as I practice coming to him as being the chief cornerstone, the sure foundation. So let's read this text. Coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Behold, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your, uh, your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, and when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God uh, in the day of visitation. Glorify God in the day of of visitation in the day of his coming. So even if you're persecuted for being a believer, there's going to come a day at the day of the Lord's coming when all of a sudden, 
I mean, it's going to be admitted. Yeah, regardless of what we may have done to you, we saw a difference in you, and their hearts pierced, and uh, judgment is, is sure. So I, I just start off reading this text, coming to him as a living stone. Two questions you might ask right off. Who is the living stone? Who is it that's coming to him? Well, last week we saw at the end of verse 3, if you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So the context is referring to the Lord clearly. We can assume that. Uh, even going into it, okay, we probably do assume it because that's kind of the bad answer for going to church, but just verifying that based on the text. Jesus is the living stone. Jesus is the sure foundation worth building one's life upon. Jesus was not defeated by death. Jesus rose from the dead, and therefore, not only is he the living, well, the stone, but he is the living stone. And then verse 6 adds that he's chief, he's precious, he is the chosen cornerstone. I think it was 1997, we took a mission trip. It's kind of been a pattern of our lives going to places. I don't know why I go to third world countries because I always get sick and I, I don't really like doing that. I mean, there's, there's benefits in going and I try to get people to go and I'll continue to go, but I'll never forget Guatemala because after I got back, my eyes were turning yellow and I was getting very weak and so our secretary down there in Dallas told me I needed to go to the doctor. <laughs> I go to the, my doctor's office, and uh, all of a sudden, he and his assistant disappear. And so, you know, they're trying to figure out what's going on with me, but I think they already knew. And uh, then they, they come back, they tap on the door, they peek through a little crack in the door, <laughs> and they say, we think you have hepatitis. Ick. He gave me a list of 21 symptoms, and I could count 19 of them right there on the spot. Truly is a disease. <laughs> Guatemala. Anybody want to come with me, third world country? Can I sign you all up right now? Cool. I still want to go? Yeah, well, uh, God willing, going to Haiti here in January. So let's come along, and let's see what we can come home with. Kenya. Yeah, Kenya, not Haiti. Thank you. If we all work together, we'll be... I am not getting the line right what a happy family will be or something. Anyway, uh, so, so our kids, uh, 1997, Carly was seven, Chloe was four. This was a family mission trip to uh, San Pedro, Guatemala. Okay, you fly into Guatemala City, take this long van trip. It's a family, family mission trip, the Jones family, that's Valerie's family. So grandma and grandpa, all the siblings, four siblings, all their kids, grandkids. We're all going. It's a Compassion International project. One of the best missions I've ever seen, building a school to help hundreds of kids. Really awesome. Uh, on this uh, shoreline ca called San Pedro Guatemala. Well, to get to San Pedro, you travel a long ways from Guatemala City. You come over the top of what is a gigantic volcanic uh, crater. I believe it's a, uh, a compound-type volcano. There's actually three smaller volcanoes inside this, this lake. Very beautiful setting, but you come over the rim. We're driving over the rim in these vans down a windy road into this gigantic barrel. <laughs> 
<laughs> of a volcano. You have to go down to the lake and then you get on a ferry because, you know, you could drive clear around the, the outer rim of that volcano, but the ferry boat's a little easier. Drive or get a ride across to San Pedro. But we're coming over this rim, dropping down to the lake, and there was a, a very haunting ruin sitting there. It wasn't a Mayan ruin. Instead, what it was was a, a very modern set of skyscrapers that evidently were abandoned for, for some time. And so we asked about this, of course, and, and somebody in, in our van knew that what had happened was some investors uh, were, uh, were building a very luxury uh, casino with luxury hotels and they had risen these buildings to full height when it was discovered that one of the buildings had sunk into the ground four inches. Can you imagine? I mean, how would you like to be the property manager on that job? You know, I'm just glad I didn't invest in that. <laughs> you know? Oh, my goodness. Because there, these haunting skyscrapers stood as a reminder that if you're going to build a building, you had better make sure that it's built on a solid foundation. Yeah. Better make sure. Well, Jesus is our sure foundation. Jesus is the sure foundation to build our lives on. Verse 6 tells us, that those who build their lives on him will never be ashamed. Uh, another word for that is will never be disappointed. You know, a moment ago I was talking about end times events, just alluding to them a little bit and the coming of Jesus. Keep your hope there, friends. You will not be dis disappointed because the prophecies of Scripture have come, have proven themselves true time and time again, and the coming of Christ will prove itself true as well. It's good news for those who are putting their hope, their faith, their trust, their confidence, building their, their lives upon the Lord. Keep building there. But Peter does give an adverse side to all of this. You see, because Jesus wasn't the kind of Messiah that the Jews were looking for, therefore Jesus became a stumbling block to him. Verse 4 says he was rejected by humans. Verse 7 says he was the stone that the builder is rejected. And still today, today for those who, have, who reject Jesus, he becomes a stumbling block, he becomes offensive, and he becomes a problem. The same Jesus who provides stability for those who are putting their trust, for those who are putting their trust in him, becomes a stone that trips up, messes up, and gets in the way of those who are rejecting him. I mean, just look around. I mean, it's okay if you refer to God, and even that's becoming questionable, but you just try to talk about Jesus unless it's in a cuss word and see what happens. Because Jesus is a stumbling block. Jesus is evicting. And just the thought of Jesus causes demons to tremble. That's a problem with Jesus. So how is it that Jesus Christ becomes a sure foundation for, those, for some and he becomes a stumbling block for others? 
Well, if you go over to verse 8, it says that though they were given the word of God, they rejected it. You see, the Bible is God's word. It's the only uh, spiritual, religious <laughs> literature out there that carries us from the beginning of time to, to beyond to, to the end of time as, as we know it. It's the only uh, spiritual literature that has proven itself through prophecies, the only one that has advanced cultures and caused people to, to be more compassionate. Okay, there, There's very, very, very much here, but, uh, but what we tend to do is if we don't know the God of the Bible, then what we start doing is we begin creating a God that we're comfortable with, a God that fits into our own image, and as a result, we begin worshiping a created thing rather than the creator himself. So we're rejecting what the scriptures have told us about who God is. It's then that we get messed up along the way. So here's just, just two questions for you. And you've got to answer them. I can't answer for you. Is Jesus the sure foundation that you're building your life on or is Jesus a stumbling block? And, and there's no in-between. Either he is the sure foundation you're building your life on, or he's a stumbling block. And, and right here, somebody might be thinking, well, well, I want him to be my sure foundation, but, but I'm not sure what that means. And, and if, if that's where you are right now, then I'm just telling you, you call upon the name of the Lord. And trust him to reveal these things to you. He will show himself to you. Is Jesus a sure foundation that you're building your life on? Or is Jesus a stumbling block? And which would you rather prefer that he be? Where are you now? And where would you like to be? So, if Jesus is the foundation, then who is it that, that Peter is saying is coming to him uh, in, in verse 4 there? Well, we've been looking at this for several weeks now, and we know that the, 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 the first epistle of Peter was written to the churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, but it applies to Christians throughout the ages. So it applies to you and me, and it's a call to all who will hear to move beyond simply believing in Jesus to beginning to grow up in Jesus. Okay, and this is where we go next. Look at this, verse 4, how this works. It says that we're coming to Jesus, and it's in our coming to Jesus, verse 5, that we are being built up okay our job come to jesus christ and keep on coming and in coming to christ god's job is to build us up if you read it in the greek it more precisely reads we are being built up it's a passive verb form on our part peter is saying that it's through the continual practice of an action on our part of coming to christ that through that god will do the practice of seeing we're become that we're becoming everything that god has created us to be to be that means we're responsible for drawing near to christ and god is responsible for bringing the results and the fruit that that will ensue as a result okay uh, similar statements 
sense, Peter once declared, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Our part, the results, passive part, believing for God bringing the results. I love John 15 where Jesus says, he who abides in me, he maintains a proper relationship with me, our part, and I in him, bears much fruit, God's part. And Jesus says, for without me, you can do nothing. Friends, it's a call to practice, to make it a practice to keep coming to Christ, to depend on him. Christ saved you. Christ will keep you. Christ will see you through. Keep your eyes on Christ so that God will be glorified. So how you doing coming to Christ? Let's just stop here for some application. And which would you say is, is your greater priority today, trying to build your life up or coming to Jesus? I think too much of church is to pump you up so that you'll build yourself up. But right here, the word is all eyes on Jesus based on Colossians 2. Christ saved you. Christ will finish you, right? And, and all the religious motions and rituals and do's and don'ts are only going to remind you that your flesh is insatiable, so you set your affections on things above where Jesus Christ is seated on the throne of God, and you watch what Jesus will do. Boy, the, the word that has hung with me these past couple of weeks, and if you've been around me, you just hear it over and over again. You guys are being way too quiet today. Are you out there? Am I, am I that intense that, like, whoa, you're in awe. You can't even hardly move. Yeah. <laughs> Five loaves and two fish. That's what's been on my mind the last couple of weeks. Five loaves and two fish. 5,000 hungry people. What do you have? Five loaves and two fish. Well, how far will that go among so many? Just give it to Jesus. Just give what you have to Jesus. There was a little boy in the crowd, 5,000 men. Who knows how many people were there actually, right? Does anybody have anything to eat? Oh, there's a little boy with five loaves and two fish. Well, just give those five loaves and two fish to Jesus and watch what Jesus will do with them. Yeah. Yeah. And when it was all over, how many basketful of fulls of waste did we have, huh? Seven? Huh? Twelve. Yeah, there you go. Twelve low, twelve baskets, right? You think Jesus gave them to the little boy? You know, take these home just to remind you what your five loaves and two fish did. Just give what you have to Jesus and watch what he'll do with it. You keep trusting him. Keep trusting him. Now, uh, going back to verse 5, the couple of little metaphors here that we need to highlight in this text. Uh, for those who are being to, uh, choosing to be built up in Christ rather than stumbling over him, notice he calls us living stones. He says, you also as living stones are being built up. Where do you think Peter got this idea of us being living stones? Well, we, we believe the, the, the Bible is God-inspired, meaning God-breathed. So he was inspired to write this. But where do you suppose the inspiration came? You know, you, you wonder sometimes, when did that happen? When did he get this, this word? And, and, and a possibility would take us back to Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is with 
his disciples at Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi, a very uh, demon-driven place, right? Yeah. Yeah, been there. And, he, and he's talking to his disciples when he, when he says, who do men say that I am? And, and their response is, well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah or Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. So Jesus hones in a little closer and he says, well, who do you say that, that I am? And uh, Peter answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus hears that and he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Simon, Peter's given name, right? A, a reed swayed by the wind. That's Peter, right? Blessed are you, you reed swayed by the wind, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, and I tell you that you are Peter, new name, Peter, Petros, you are a stone, no longer a reed swayed by the wind, but you are a stone, and on this rock, on this immovable foundation of the faith that we see in you, that was given to you by God, right, I will build my church, Jesus said, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus changes Peter's name. You're not a piece of grass, It's pushed around by the wind. Instead, you are a stone that's built on an immovable, built up on an immovable foundation. And right here, Peter's passing that kind of idea right on to us, and he calls us living stones. He calls Jesus a living stone. Now he calls us a living stone. But Jesus is the chief cornerstone, the immovable foundation, and we together are being built up to God's spiritual house it's awesome see you're, you and i are part of an ongoing construction process god is in the process of building his church and when he quarried you out of the pit of sin and he placed you into his building project you went from being a dead stone in the pit to being a living stone in the church in the body. In fact, every time someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they are moved from the pit of sin as dead stones to the church of God as living stones. And we can celebrate that. But don't, don't misunderstand it. Just because you're only one stone in the house of God doesn't devalue the miracle of what's going on here. Because remember that angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. There's something significant in God's eyes to you becoming a part of his kingdom business. And so we don't take it lightly, but we just say glory, honor, and praise to God forever and ever. Yeah. But... Uh, we need to hone on a couple of hone in on a couple of other things that are characteristic of us being these living stones. So notice a couple of things here. You're you're the holy priesthood. You're a chosen generation. So as living stones, let's talk about being a holy priesthood. Verse five to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So not everybody who comes to faith in Christ. Be, becomes a vocational pastor or preacher like what you see me doing here today. But all of us, no one excluded, 
become priests. You're all priests, right? And, and you might be sitting there thinking, Ugh, I knew I shouldn't come to a church that's pastored by a guy who used to be Catholic because now he wants to make us all priests. But I'm not making any of a priest. It says right there, right, that you are a part of a holy priesthood. And, and I think about priests growing up. I think about intimidation. Huh? Some of you can relate to that? Yeah. You know, there were these two little boys that were always getting in trouble. And mom and dad tried everything to help these boys out. Didn't get anywhere. So they finally decided, well, let's give the priest a try. And the priest agreed to meet with the boys. So they come into his office. What do you call a priest's office? I can't remember. Vestibule. Vestibule. Yeah. Well, it's a good try there. But uh, anyway, it's intimidating in a priest's office. These little boys are sitting there. And the little brother panics, gets out of his seat, runs all the way home, and gets in his bed. The big brother sitting there, kind of trembling, wondering what's going to happen. And the priest says, Where is God? The guy's shaking in his boots. No answer. The priest waits a second. Asks again. I asked you a question. Where is God right now? No response. The priest asks a third time, still no answer. So he, he, he finally says, you can be sure we'll talk about this again. You can go on home. The little guy runs home, runs upstairs, runs into the bedroom where his little brother's crying when his little brother stirs and, and looks up through his tears. And he says, what happened? And the big brother says, we're in big trouble God's missing, and they think we took him. <laughs> I love that story. I was sent to Monsignor Doherty's office more times than I care to admit, and I can so relate to this. But now the Bible is referring to you and me as priests, and it's not a business of intimidation. Right? Yeah. So what does being a priest include? Let me give you several things. First, as priests, we have direct access to the king of creation. And friends, that is the place where we receive grace. I love what Hebrews says. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our hour of need. You don't have to come to the priest. You don't need some kind of middleman. You can come directly. You don't have to have the priestly garments, right? You don't have to have any kind of, of immaculate worship service. You just come as you are. Come uh, for grace, no intimidation required. Come in complete confidence. Jesus gives you access. You're a priest. Another thing, as priests, we have the privilege of praying for each other. 
In our study of James, James tells us, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Again, no priest required, right? No seminary training required. Just together we can pray for each other. I love to add to that 1 John 1, 9, where it says if we confess our sins, if we just agree with God about what he already knows, that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah, direct access. Another thing, as priests, we have the opportunity of offering sacrifices of praise. Did you hear that? Sacrifices of praise to God. Verse 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's add to that Hebrews 13 that says, Therefore by him, by Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And then this little tag here in verse 10. But don't forget to be good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Have you thought of worship as being a sacrifice? Boy, I just remember when I was studying for ministry, I wanted to go to an early service and there were some other theologues there in the cafeteria. That's what they call people studying for ministry, if you didn't know, theologues, right? Yeah, sounds like theo geeks or something, but that's what they were, theologues. And I, and I was hurrying. I said, I've got to get to first service. And they said, well, we're going to first service. And I'm like, it's time. And they, they said, well... We don't care about the preliminaries. These are guys who are going to lead churches, and they thought the most important part was their contribution, and therefore any idea of worship didn't really matter. Huh? And, and yet I know that there's people who show up, you know, kind of late to church because the first part's just the singing, right? And if we're still singing songs, people walk in and say, oh, we didn't miss anything. They're still singing. We're priests to offer sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving to God. Now, I really believe that a a big part of understanding that is when God puts a testimony in your soul, right, that you're like the prophet Jeremiah, and if you don't proclaim his praise, you're going to feel like you're going to pop because it's, it's compressed in there and you got to let it out. So a big part of it has to do with our witness, but friends, Coming together for worship. Just read Revelation, Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 5. Read Isaiah 6. Get a picture of what's going on in the kingdom of heaven and realize we're instruments of praise. Our bodies are a musical instrument. Everything is placed just right, right? We have hands to clap with, feet to dance with. Lungs with a capacity of moving air through a set of vocal cords. Mouths that are like a horn to reflect, to to expand the sound. We are created to give praise to God. In fact, I read one scientific report uh, that came from a Christian scientist that said, there's no explainable reason on earth for birds to, to sing except for the pleasure of man. 
Oh, yeah, but there is a greater purpose. There is no explainable reason why we have to sing, right? Or that bird sing, except to give glory to God. And we're priests, chosen people, set apart for his praise. And if you're a disciple of Christ, you're part of a holy priesthood, you have direct access to the throne, you're now an instrument of praise to God, and part of that praise is showing mercy along the way. So how do you think God might describe your worship and kindness to others? You know, in the Old Testament, when a priest gave an offering on someone else's behalf, and it was the right offering given for the right reason, God described it as being a fragrant aroma. He took pleasure in it. How might your offering be described? You know, might it be like, like the southerner who said, I smell something coming off of you, and it certainly isn't fragrant. Huh? Do we need to adjust in this area? Let's be an expression. Let our praise be an expression of a greater work that God is doing in us. Verse 9 adds that we're a chosen generation, a holy nation, his own special people, that we're benefactors and distributors of mercy. I read that. What Peter's doing here, he's borrowing from Deuteronomy chapter 7, and, and what he's saying is just as God chose the children of Israel to be a light in a dark world, to be ambassadors in a pagan-filled world, so are we set apart to be God's beacons in a fallen, messed up world. And we don't say that to let it go to our heads because just as the children of Israel are seen again and again as being people who don't deserve such a role, neither are we people who deserve such a role. We aren't chosen because of superior intellect, because we're smart enough to believe. We're not chosen because of some special gift or because of our own mortality or, or morality, but we are chosen because God has given us an incredible gift. We are set apart for his purposes. So Peter says, beloved, I beg you. Now look at this. I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from, what are those two words right there? Do you see them? Fleshy lusts. Do you see them? Abstain from fleshy lusts which war against your souls. See, we're living in a day when fleshy lust is becoming defined as okay. But friends, it's the flesh that shows us our need of a Savior. And it doesn't matter how many laws we make to try to affirm people. The flesh is always insatiable. And it will always desire more and more and more. It will never be satisfied. And therefore, we need to get victory over the flesh. And the only way to do it, again, Colossians 3.1, set your affections on things above where Christ is seated on the throne. Let your struggle with the flesh point you to your need of a Savior, right? Having, verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God on the day of his visitation. In other words, live such lives among those who don't know the Lord, that even though they may persecute you for what you believe, there's no denying on their part that there's something unique about you. 
that's pointing people to Jesus, right? There's no denying the greater work that God is doing in you. Jesus said, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so here's an application question for you. If you're the closest thing to Jesus that some people will ever see, what exactly are they seeing? And right there, someone argues, and they're like, oh, that's a works message right there, right? I'm not Jesus, and neither are you. And it reminds me of my buddy Pete, who I credit for my coming to faith. He still wonders to this day how he could have possibly have influenced me to Christ. And the best we could say is all glory, honor, and praise to God because God does want to use you to make a difference. God does want to give you victory in areas of your life as you trust him. And for those areas that you don't get immediate deliverance, he wants you to trust him all the more, not looking for someone to pat you on the back and say it's okay, but for you to lean on his grace like never before. Are we compromising where God wants to bring deliverance? Are we missing opportunities that God has for us because somehow we're just trying to survive and be comfortable, just hang in there until it's all over? Friends, we are living stones. We are being built into a spiritual house. We're to be a holy priesthood. We're to offer spiritual sacrifices of praise that are acceptable to God as we give them through Jesus Christ. Here at Samor, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that we may proclaim the praise of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were once not a people, but now we are the people of God. We once were without mercy, but now we have received Mercy, yeah, yeah. All right, next week, Dave Reaver's gonna be here. If you haven't heard of Dave Reaver, you look him up, okay? I have been with Dave on a number of occasions. His story is amazing. I can't believe he's coming here, all right? He gets all kinds of venues and opportunities to speak. He's got four Uh, locations where he's helping to restore wounded warriors, veterans, okay? Uh, He's doing, he's making a difference. The guy, when you see him, he's battle-scarred, but God got a hold of his life, okay? He was actually holding a a liquid sulfate grenade right here as he was clearing out bush in Vietnam. Liquid sulfate, I believe is what it was. It's, It's a grenade that the reason you throw it is to burn out grass, okay? The thing explodes and throws this chemical all over the place, creating fires in order to burn out snipers. So he's holding this grenade right here, ready to throw it when a sniper shot it. It exploded all over him. He fell into the water. He was on fire. The stuff had gotten into him. They rescued him. They put him on a helicopter. They saw no way he would survive. He was on fire all the way to the hospital. Okay? Somewhere in the midst of that, God got a hold of his life. He has a story to tell. It's a story friends need to hear. There's people right now 
who, who have physical ailments that they're allowing to limit them, people who have emotional elements that, uh, that they're allowing to defeat them. Dave Reaver's message is a message of hope and of strength, and we should fill this place up for him next week because he's got books out. He's been speaking for a long, long time. Please, please be in prayer. Please consider who you might bring to hear Dave Reaver, okay? But right now, you. Do you feel like a living stone? Do you feel like a holy priesthood? Do you feel like you're part of a chosen people? Do you feel like you're part truly of God's house? Let the Spirit just convict you right now. Okay, I'm not here to make you comfortable. I'm here to get you into His presence and you can't come into His presence without allowing His Spirit to search you, test you, and to reveal things to you. And maybe today you're not even sure you're in relationship with God through Christ. And here this is a call. Come home. Turn around. You've been doing your life your own independent way. It's, it's frustrating in a fallen world. It doesn't make sense. Come back. Come back to daddy. Come back home. Put your faith in him. Call upon his name and you will be saved. And for you, believer, be honest with God about where you are and surrender any areas of your life to him that he's revealing to you at this moment. Would you do that? I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come, and they'll be available even when we dismiss. There's a, a spot up there, a spot over here, and uh, they'll be available to pray with you. But right now, just let God search you. Just to, 